0: Before we get to that, let's cross to Boston in the United States where Celeste Katzmarston is with us. Celeste, a very good morning. Welcome back to the program. Good morning. All right. Uh, by the way, is that you know, smoke cleared up yet? Those there's, there's fires in Canada are still going.
1: Yeah, we get some air quality issues now and again. It's not constant, but we have had some... Uh, rather vivid, orange, sunset-type action. And my uh, air quality meter, which we talked about last time, is, is still giving me an alert now and again. But it's it's not oppressive at the moment. Okay.
0: Now, there's so much to talk to you I mean, there's I should have mentioned that I wanted to ask this, but the Women's World Cup began in Australia and New Zealand yesterday. Is that getting much fuss in the U.S.? I mean, you know, like the U.S. are the reigning champs in women's football, and... What do you think?
1: I don't know. Certainly, and you have to forgive me for not being a a rabid sports fan and following these things very closely. Certainly, there's been a lot lot of uh, coverage recently about uh, Megan Rapinoe uh, leaving this sport. Uh, obviously a really iconic uh, figure to a lot of uh, women generally, women who love sports, and also young girls who want to get into uh, professional sports. So that's kind of been the the outer limit of uh, of what I've been following in terms of uh, women's soccer here. All righty.
0: Well, now let's get to... In fact, I mean, I know the biggest story is, is Donald Trump. I want to skip that. We'll come back to that in a second. The one that I find most atri- intriguing is this uh soldier, Private Travis King, who I think was stationed in South Korea, he has jumped the border and gone into North Korea. Now, this is a truly bizarre story. What else do we know about what's happened?
1: Yeah, that, it really is. I mean, it's something that has not happened for a, a very long time with the US military. It's been... Uh, quite some time since anybody has tried this. But from what I can gather, uh, he had gotten into some trouble during his uh, stationing in South Korea. And um, he had actually served some prison time. There were some issues of, I think there was some uh, assault-related charges uh, involving some incident uh, at a nightclub, some property damage, that kind of thing. So he had done a little time. And he was Uh, supposed to be getting sent back to the United States to get discharged from the military. So they took him as far as customs, and then they uh, let him go, left him at the airport, presuming he would get on the plane, didn't get on the plane. Instead, he somehow ended up in a tour group going to look at the DMZ, you know, that famous site with the blue buildings and this demarcation line, And the tour group is standing around there, a bunch of people, uh, I think some people including uh, uh, some tourists from New Zealand and so on. And he just makes a break for it. And a lot of people thought it was some sort of a prank or like maybe he was making a TikTok or some sort of ridiculous thing. Why would somebody do that? He was in civilian clothing at the time. And he just straight up runs across the border into North Korea. And uh, from everything I understand has not been seen or heard from since. Uh, very weird story. There may have been some other things going on in his life or in his family life, but uh, the short answer is they have him and I don't think the United States knows too much about what's up except it's presumed that he is being interrogated right now.
0: I find it incredible that somebody would think that North Korea was a better option than you know going home maybe to face some charges or to be you know uh, to be kicked out of the military that is that's an extraordinary thing because you never hear any good news stories out of north korea you know the terrible thing something happened to the american uh, otto warmbier and Mm -hmm. you know he was perfectly normal when he went to north korea and and came back and has and subsequently died came back in a vegetative state that was appalling um, so why anyone would think that going to North Korea is a better option than going home and being discharged, possibly dishonorably we don't know uh that is that's the most extraordinary thing about this because life in North Korea is anything but easy, is it
1: right exactly I mean, and certainly there have been lots of reports about how they put on a good show for the tourists, and this is aside of course from the uh you know adulatory rocket launch uh, tributes to their uh, to their dear leader and so on but uh, apparently uh this soldier king is the first guy to do this since like 1962 which mm. would generally suggest that people are on to the idea that North Korea is not the safe haven that you are looking for if you have other things going on in your life but apparently um a young relative of his died recently. He may have been somewhat distraught about this. Um, he was facing a discharge from the military. But from some of the biographical information that's coming out about him, uh, a guy who doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, reads the Bible, uh, got along with other people around him. So I don't know if this is some sort of, uh, you know, domino effect of events in his life that led him to do this, or he just made, uh, you know, a spur-of-the-moment decision. But, I mean, he did leave the airport. He did go to join this tour group and get himself to the border. So I'm not going to try to get into the guy's head, but I would say it is generally accepted that this is not the place that you want to make your home if you're looking for a, a warm welcome as an American citizen. Yeah.
0: Um, The last bloke to do it, which, as you say, was 60 years ago, was James Dresnock. Now, there's a really interesting movie about him called Crossing the Line, and I don't know, he didn't appear to be... I think he's still alive, I'm not sure, but he didn't appear to be, you know, regretting what happened, but I would say defecting in those days is a bit different to, you know, running across the the border these days. Um, and there's, in fact, the guy that made that movie, uh, Daniel Gordon, also made one of the greatest documentaries I've ever seen, which is called uh what was it called uh um a state of mind which is about these mass games that go on in North Korea and it is it is the most amazing a most amazing thing about North Korea you know you learn so much about that that um that country from the uh the documentary by the way james Dresnock died in twenty seven, twenty sixteen, 2016 maybe but um really interesting i recommend um, both Crossing the Line and um, any other films that uh, that he made, including The Australian Dream. I've been to that point in North or South Korea. In fact, you go into North Korea when you go into those little blue huts, that is counted as North Korea. It's a very strange experience. You catch a bus, they look at your passport when you get on the bus, they look at the passport when you get off the bus, you then get onto a second bus, and you have to sit in exactly the same seat as you were on the other bus, they look at your passport then, they look at your passport when you get on the bus, you stand there, right on the border almost, and they say you do not move, you do not wave, you do not smile, you don't make any movement whatsoever, because if you do, they might shoot you. You know, everyone going on those tours is well, well acquainted with what you do not do in South Korea, right there on the border of North Korea. This bloke knew exactly what he was doing. Surely,
1: I, I do, I do have to say that I thought for a moment. Uh, how did he avoid getting shot? I mean, if somebody is absolutely and, and the guy wasn't ambling around, he wasn't stepping out of place in the line. Apparently, he he sprinted, sprinted across, and so I would think any kind of sudden movement, as you say, would be. Uh, you know something that would raise everybody's uh, everybody's uh, awareness and, and set off some alarm bells. But uh, he, I don't know if you want to call it, he made it. But yeah, he made it, and now he is there, and and. Uh... I'm not sure how this is going to end. I don't know if it's going to end well for him. I don't know how much he as an individual would be able to uh, say or do that might endanger the security of the United States or its allies by talking about uh, his role in the military and in an installation there. But uh, this is not something that I think anybody either particularly expected or particularly wanted, except perhaps for this one guy. And I don't even know if that's true for him.
0: We may never know. The interesting thing is, as you say, he was about to get on the plane and go home. And it's also very difficult to get onto these tours. You have to book a long way in advance. It's not like you can just walk up on the day. I mean, he may have been able to do that. I don't know. Um, and it takes a long time. You've got to meet in, um, in Seoul, in a particular place. They go through all your details, who you are, what your name is, you know, what job you have. Every detail you've got to give to them, and then you get on this bus, and it takes a few hours or a bit more than an hour to get there. It's a very complicated thing. It's not like going on a normal tour at a normal tourist destination. It's very, very difficult. So, I don't know. Oh, Things very, very strange. Um, speaking of strange, um, Donald Trump. Now, Donald Trump uh, has said that he, you know, like maybe there's going to be more criminal. Uh, charges against him this is because of what happened on January the 6th 2021 but it's not specifically to do with the riot it's in fact events leading up to that isn't
1: it right so uh, the interesting thing and he said that he received a target letter uh, saying that he's being investigated there's a grand jury proceeding going on but uh, this is generally about efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Obviously, that didn't happen. Joe Biden is the legally certified and recognized president of the United States. Uh, There was no mass conspiracy to uh, fix or rig the election. Sorry I had to say that, but I always want to make that point very specifically for all the uh, conspiracy theorists out there. But yeah, you know, there have been a lot of people who have been interviewed and and questioned or given testimony uh, that were sort of in his orbit or his aides or sympathizers or employees or whatever. So now you see that all that triangulation is starting to close in on the former president. And I think that's that's what makes this interesting. Uh, I'm not saying that he is you know, sweating it out on a witness stand at this very moment necessarily, but um, I think this is coming in from sort of the outer layers of the onion right now to the core, the former president. What did he know? When did he know it? What did he do? What did he not do? Um, specific to this whole issue of trying to delegitimize The election of Joe Biden and and not accept his own loss. The thing is he can't
0: deny that he did this stuff because he can say you know and he may believe it and others may believe it might be proved might not be you know when it came to January the 6th he can say listen I did not cause that riot I didn't he might have said you know walk on down there he didn't say you know start a riot and you know take over offices and smash your way in. He did not say that. He can honestly say I didn't say that and people did it on their own volition. That's one thing. But he's been saying before the election that if I lose, you know, it's um, the whole thing's been rigged. He said throughout the campaign, afterwards as well, and he's been saying it ever since. He can't deny that he tried to make sure the election result was not certified he tried to get Mike Pence not to do it they tried to send fake electors in you know to try and usurp the the view of the people the people that voted like you can't deny that I wonder how anyone's going to find him not guilty in a way like the, all those things all that evidence that continues to pile up what's going to happen
1: Right. That's, that's the big question. And, you know, obviously there are certain standards of proof and evidence. There are certain standards of doubt and there are certain standards of responsibility. At some point, uh, you know, if it hasn't already happened a hundred times, it will happen a hundred times going ahead. But, you know, an issue of freedom of speech, freedom of expression, what is, how, how much can he say that is protected as him expressing his thoughts, feelings, beliefs, even if they are wrong? But does he have an elevated responsibility because some of these things took place when he was an elected federal official, an official of the United States government versus what just any old private citizen could say? I mean, you know, as a private citizen in the United States, I can say a bunch of stuff. I can say lots of stuff as long as it doesn't physically uh, cause harm. Uh, or undermine uh, the authority of the United States government, I can certainly criticize the government. I can criticize anybody. But I didn't take an oath to uh, uphold, defend, and protect the Constitution of the United States from enemies, both foreign and domestic. I mean, I would hope that citizens of the United States feel that way, but they didn't, like, put their hand on a Bible and put their other hand up in the air and pledge to do these things. Um, So uh, I I think that there's going to be a lot of... uh, machinations here when it comes to uh his defense about well isn't he entitled to express himself to a certain degree yeah that's true but did he also have uh, a legal or moral or other responsibility to uh to not propagate false information to not if not actively goad people into uh, insurrection type activities to at least encourage them to stop to stop behaving in a, a violent, seditious way in some cases as the sitting president of the United States. So that that's yeah. a lot of what happens here. And you and I have talked about what sure. did he know and when did he know it. Those are really hard questions to answer, and I certainly can't answer them, but there is a reckoning that is coming here, and whether he can uh, squeeze out of this corner is, is what we're all sort of waiting to see.
0: Well, the interesting part here, of course, is that this is all going to be played out while an election campaign is going on, an election campaign that at the moment you know, has him as the front-runner for the Republicans, and he might yet get the... I mean, it's a long way off. It's another, what, year before the uh, Republicans make up their mind as to who their candidate is. It could very well be him, and then you know he, he's going to be in court while the campaign's going on quite possibly and the interesting thing about that of course is he's going to be on the stand maybe he might sit there in the defendant's chair but he might actually have to uh, give evidence and he's going to have to he's going to have to say whether or not he believes that the election was rigged that uh, Joe Biden didn't actually win and he's going to have to give evidence about whether or not he tried to overturn that legally um decided result so you know he might then be caught for perjury as well this
1: is the interesting thing isn't it right so there's a very big difference between making sort of nebulous uh, uh you know implications and suggestions uh, at a campaign speech or on a television program and making comments uh In which he could actually perjure himself in an official legal proceeding. Uh, I I think it is true, certainly, that there are still plenty of people who believe in him, who would like him to be president again, who in any case don't want Joe Biden to be president anymore. There's plenty of people who feel that way. And some of them, I might add, are in the Democratic Party. Um, But... uh, Yeah. I mean, and you have to ask yourself, given uh, Trump's track record and the the sort of grand arc of what we know about him and his personality and business dealings and his personal life and politics, is he the sort of guy who's going to worry terribly much about uh, walking a very fine line between uh, truth and perjury? Uh, is he going to care? I mean, we can't know that. Again, I think a lot of these people who are these sort of uh, you know, Trump splainers or Trump crystal ball readers and all that stuff like I I'm not huge on on any of that. I'm I'm not the guy's uh, you know, mental health professional and I don't want to be. But um You know, there is a lot of evidence stacked up against him from moving of records to phone calls he made, trying to put the arm on election officials and public officials in states like uh, Georgia. And uh, there is an actual record of him staying and doing these things. And people who have been close to him or were close to him during his administration and during his campaign have come forward and said flat out, yeah, he knew. He knew he lost, and he wanted to cover it up. He didn't want to acknowledge it. He wanted to let the people who believed that he was still, uh, you know, legally entitled to serve as president, uh, he he was fine with that, and he was happy to to do anything he could to help them uh, mm. keep that mindset.
0: All righty, we'll see what happens. It's fascinating. There's no doubt about that. Let's uh, talk about what's going on in Massachusetts. Uh, Celeste Katz Marston is our guest. This is fascinating because people have long suggested that when you're putting in your resume, your CV to get a job, there are certain people who are preferred. Now it might be by age, it might be by sex or gender, it might be by, you know, ethnicity. And A woman um, who recently graduated from MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, I suppose she's kind of decided to put this to the test, and what did she find?
1: Right. So this young woman, uh, a woman named Rona Wong, is um, doing some experiments with artificial intelligence. And everybody at this point, or a lot of people at this point, certainly have played around with things like chat GPT, write me. uh, Somebody, I think it was my husband, mentioned one that was really bizarre. Somebody asked chat GPT or something like it, an image generator, to create a selfie from The Last Supper it was extremely disturbing, but it's like Jesus and the disciples looking up into the camera, smiling. And so, I mean, it can do really weird things that arguably the world doesn't need. But in any event, she had a somewhat more serious experiment, which she put up a picture of herself wearing an MIT sweatshirt and just sort of hanging out, looking into the camera. And she said... "Uh." make this look professional, like a LinkedIn profile photo. And she is of Asian American descent. So the thing thought for a nanosecond or however long it takes, and it spits back out a new profile picture for her, which essentially made her white. Because its interpretation of what should a professional, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. job search website photograph look like is somebody with lighter skin and blue eyes. So the question becomes, Okay, uh you know, her argument was I'm not saying that AI is inherently racist, but it brings up a ton of questions about how actually AI is being created and trained. So when AI is trained to generate these images or or to do these searches, it takes Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of images from all these different sources and evaluates them and sort of amalgamates them into a new image. So, if uh, but it doesn't do this on its own, it's essentially fed all this data or taught to find to pull all this data from the internet. But if the people who are you know, sort of setting up the parameters of what is professional? You know, is it somebody wearing a suit? Is it somebody sitting in a business meeting looking uh, serious or confident or something? Is it somebody in a certain environment? What is, what does that person look like? You know, who is included and who is left out? So it really asks a much bigger question rather than this one platform producing one picture. Uh, It really asks us a bigger question about what are we teaching AI to understand about the appearance or the meaning of certain words and certain ideas? What does professional look
0: like? Exactly. Well, you ask someone, what does a newsreader look like? It's probably going to be a middle-aged man in a suit. I mean, there are certain things that that's the way that we've been conditioned to do it. And if AI, you know, and some AI only does, gets its information from what is already there, it can't think for itself, despite the fact that it's artificial intelligence, it only draws on what already exists, well, that's exactly what it's going to give you, isn't it? A professional is a white-looking person. That's what, you know, is out there that tells us, or that tells AI what it is.
1: Right. Or is it a man? And, you know, what is left out? Can a professional be a young Asian American woman? And then if you think about, is it just people who are sitting around in a board meeting looking solemn? I mean, a doctor is a professional. You are a professional radio presenter. Uh, I am a professional reporter. It's, you know, what is included and what is not. And so it's not just the issue of uh, needing time to train AI, but A, it's You know, how do you define for a computer that's looking through essentially everything that exists on the internet? uh, How do you help the computer define a very abstract concept? And the people who create the definition, they have in their heads their own definition of what it looks like. You have to put in search terms and parameters include this, don't include that. Look for things like this, you know, Boolean, whatever. You know, look for things like this, but don't look for things like that because you can't look through everything every time for every request, right? There have to be some sort of limits, but the people who impose those limits and then the people who are employed to actually train AI, which is now a real job, um, you know have their own ideas about what should be included and not included. So do you have to have more diversity among the training staff or do you have to promote more diverse ideas in setting up the limits. It, it really is interesting to me because it sort of makes us stop and think for a minute about I mean how do you describe what does a person look like when they're in love? You know, create a picture of somebody falling in love. What does that look like? And does it look very different to very different people?
0: I won't know until I look it up on, you know, AI. I'll ask them (laughs) to create that. But, you know, beyond that, of course, and this has probably been happening for a long time, that if you do send a CV, a resume in, then it's probably not going to be read by a human being. It's going to be read by a machine, and it automatically has these, um, you know, parameters, I think you're saying, where it might cut out women's names. It might cut out so-called foreign names. It might cut out people who are a certain age or went to a certain school. You are not being judged fairly, and you don't even know that. You don't even know when they tell you, or they don't tell you, that you didn't get an interview, perhaps. You don't know why you've been cut out. You don't realise it's probably because some machine was set up so that it, it deliberately excluded
1: somebody like you. Well, I think the thing with resumes that is interesting, there's sort of two issues there, at least, at least two issues. I mean, one is that people are much more recognizing and learning to work with, or frankly, to game these systems. You know, if you have a job description that says you should be, uh, you should have experience in, I don't know, technical writing and interviewing and copy editing, then somewhere in your resume you have to have those words, like those specific words, because the uh, computer can be trained to filter you out, to sift you out or drop you. If those specific words are not in the resume, maybe you said the exact same thing another way, not good enough for the computer. The computer knows to look for this word spelled this way and not something else. So there's that. And then there's, again, there's the question of, um, who is training the computer? Who is training the computer on what to look for? If somebody trained the computer actively, commanded the computer actively to uh, remove, say, names that ended with the letter A, because names that end with the letter A, at least, you know, in yeah. English, often tend to be women's names and not men's names. Oh, okay. Um So you could train a computer to do that, but it wouldn't be the computer's fault. A person told the computer to do that. So I I think that a lot of people who were getting wound up about, oh, the computers are taking over, the computers are coming to get us or making the decisions. Like, yeah, maybe down the line we'll reach the singularity or whatever, and computers will learn faster than people and it'll get out of hand. But for the moment, It's people who are telling computers what to do, just as you are when you uh, open a browser tab or send an email. The computer's not doing that itself. It only does that because you're telling it to. And to a large extent, that is still true of AI.
0: All right. Very quickly, just a couple of minutes before we have to move on. uh, Who is George Washington Dugan?
1: So George Washington Dugan is, uh, was, I should say, the only uh, African-American man from Concord, Massachusetts, to uh, enlist in the Union Army in the Civil War. And um, he enlisted with a regiment, the 54th Massachusetts, which I don't know if you've heard of a film called Glory. Indeed, with there's a, a, a memorial
0: Friend. to it in the, uh, the Boston Common.
1: Right, right. So this regiment was an all-black regiment that uh, fought in the civil war and um got uh had hit, like horrible horrible casualties in a battle of fort wagner in south carolina but in any event this guy george washington dugan was the father uh, was the son of uh, a self-emancipated man and uh, his wife he lived in concord massachusetts and he enlisted in the army fought in this battle and for a long time was presumed lost uh, you know again huge casualties in this battle and uh you know it's it's almost 100% sure that he was killed in action but uh because he was listed as missing never found he was left off memorials mm-hmm. in uh Concord Massachusetts and so 160 years after uh it is presumed that he died fighting for the union in the civil war his name is now going up on memorials in the town of Conquered Massachusetts, where, I might add, he was never even paid for his service in the army. Um, and so I think this is part of a, a larger recognition of black soldiers who fought in the Civil War and in other battles. Um but this is essentially a, a wrong that has has been righted after more than a hundred years of of this guy not getting the recognition he deserved for for fighting for uh, for the Union.
0: It's an amazing story, and that whole thing about history is not, you know, past. You know, it's not even past. You know, Whatever the quote is, I think from Faulkner, uh, is absolutely right. It is still there, and uh, it's a remarkable story. Celeste, thank you very, very much. We will chat to you again in a couple of weeks.
1: Always a pleasure. Celeste Katz-Marston in Boston, Massachusetts.